2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. Hello, everyone. It's Daniel and Robert of The Last Nighters, lastnighters.com. And we are going to talk about the Jerry Seinfeld movie, B Movie. And this will be episode 19 of the show. So you can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 19. But before we get into the Google description, let's say hello to Robert. How you doing, sir? Well, let's say hello to me. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you. We're going to be talking about the old B Movie, the old Jerry Seinfeld, uh, one and only animated movie. I don't think you ever went on to do much of anything else in the old animated movie department. Yeah, what what is the got, deal with that? <laughs> this one's got all kinds of fun themes that we can uh, break down, so this should be a good one. I agree. Yeah, there's lots of good stuff. We had intended to do this one last fall uh, with a friend of ours who was a big fan of it, but I think we're going to have him on for uh, one of our discussion programs, perhaps about Incredibles, which will be an upcoming show because that movie's coming out soon. Oh, and I might as well mention now that the episode after this is going to be Deadpool, the original Deadpool, because Deadpool 2 is about to be out in the theater. So mark your calendars, everyone. Next week, Deadpool. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Check it out. All right, Google description, B-Movie, 2007 adventure comedy animated film, one hour, 35 minutes, 6.1 on IMDb, 51% Rotten Tomatoes, and 80% of Google users like it, which is, uh, this is kind of a, you know, middle-of-the-road middle type um, rating. It's kind of odd. But here's the description. Fresh out of college, Barry the Bee played by Jerry Seinfeld, finds the prospect of working with Honey uninspiring. He flies outside the hive for the first time and talks to a human, played by Renee Zellwidger. And I'm saying that like they say it in uh, Chappelle Show, because it's funny. Uh, breaking a cardinal rule of his species, Barry learns that humans have been stealing and eating honey for centuries, and he realizes that his true calling is to obtain justice for his kind by suing humanity for theft. Came out October 28, 2007. Uh, directors are Steve Hick and Simon J. Smith. Featured song is Here Comes the Sun, and the budget was $150 million. It has uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Renee Zellweger, and also um, Simba, right? He's in this, Matthew Broderick, though he's not listed on here. Is he? Yeah, I suppose that was his voice there. Yeah, it took me a little while to place to place the voice, and then it dawned on me, oh yeah, it's, it's uh, Matthew Broderick, I think. Yeah, the Anyhow. old uh, yeah, voicing an animated movie has got to be a good gig. I mean, you go in for like maybe a day or two, you say some lines. You collect a big old fat paycheck and you walk out. That's got to be a good time to be an actor. Yeah, it's like doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except, except you get paid. Except the, pay, yeah, except the paycheck. All right. So uh, what do you think of the description and that information so far? Well, I would have described the movie differently, of course. I would have said that, you know, a pack of bee commies um, all of a sudden discover property rights and discover that hmm, maybe we should, we've been getting our bee, bee honey stolen from us this whole time by these evil exploiting humans. So they're going to they're gonna sue them in a human court and uh, somehow, somehow win, which is like, eh, it's a movie. But uh, there's all kinds of fun stuff to talk about. Yeah, I think there is a lot of stuff. And uh, before we even get into the movie, I just wanted to just talk about bees in general. Um, oh. Do you have any 
background or understanding of why bees create honey to begin with because they seem to make excess of it, right? Because humans can harvest it and it doesn't seem to kill off the bees, though cell phone waves apparently were alleged to kill bees and that ended up being wrong, just like killer bees were European and African bees mating together and they were supposed to come up from Mexico and kill everyone and that didn't happen. So there's all these like wrong things about bees, but what do you, what do you have on bees? What, what can you tell me? All that I can tell you, Daniel, is based on these old you know, like nature documentaries that used to play in like the 80s. I think they were probably made in the 70s or the 60s. But they they kind of had that that uh, after school special, not an after school special, but after school special kind of quality to them. But they're the sort of video that you would have watched in school where the teacher would bust out the old projector and you'd sit there and you'd watch it for like 40 minutes. And it would be, this is about bees. You know, they were made in like the 50s or the 60s and they're terrible. But so if those are true, I believe, oh man, even I'm doing it. Um, that the bees, you know, make a bunch of honey, but that honey serves as a storage for when the times get tough. And so when the humans come along and they kind of like set things up right for the bees, that they are just able to just produce and produce and produce. But in, you know, normal nature, nature times that, uh, the, the honey is just more of a, you know, a, there are forest fires and then the whole hive could be lost. And there are times when, you know, it's winter time and you got to survive off that honey the whole winter. All kinds of stuff. So, yeah, it's very nutrient-rich. Not nutrient-rich necessarily, but it's really, you know, carbohydrate-rich and really could allow the entire hive to survive for an extended period of time. Yeah, and I've heard that honey will last, like, hundreds or even thousands of years. Like, they found honey in the Egyptian tombs and, like, oh, it's still good. Meanwhile, present day, we buy honey, and, like, two months later, it's crystallized like a rock. You can't get it out of the frickin' bear. (laughs) Well, I think that's somebody, yeah, putting something in there, maybe absorbic acid or I don't even know what. Don't, don't listen to me on that. But I can't imagine what's going on there. But, yeah, honey is the one of the – I think it's the one thing that um, doesn't go bad, one natural food that doesn't go bad. Pretty crazy. So great, great store for calories for a hive that gets hungry, you know. Yeah, yeah, and this is all nectar from the flowers, right? And the pollen is just a byproduct of the bees moving about, right? As far as I understand it, yeah, they it naturally attaches to them, and then they just go from flower to flower because they're looking for pollen, not right, because so, they have some specific purpose and they're, like, super smart about things and know that they need to go and pollinize this and that. But, of well, course, in, in the movie, that's yeah, in the they movie, do. they're like, oh, yeah, we dash a little pollen over there, a little over here. <laughs> right, because they uh, know about stuff. Well, I got to tell you, though, in, in our neck of the woods here, the last couple of weeks have been pollen insane, pollen insanity. It's like going to a rave and they like let the bubbles come down and, and get all, all over the, the audience or the people dancing. Like we had a cake layer dusting of pollen on everything. Like no bees required. There was pollen literally everywhere. So you're saying we don't need the bees. Is that what you're saying? Fuck the bees. <laughs> <laughs> At least in my local neighborhood, it, it didn't seem to matter. But uh, it's, that, that was the most pollen I'd ever seen uh, ever, you know, and I'm an old man now. So I think it was just a, a happenstance of, of like the number of sunny days that we got early in the spring season that just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, pollen everywhere. Well, I think it's weird and I'm probably showing my ignorance here, but that's fine. Who cares? Um, that human beings still have, you know, there are still lethal bee allergies. Like, I, I know somebody who blows up like a balloon when they get stung by a bee, and they have to go to the hospital, and, you know, it's, it's just weird that human beings have existed with bees the entire time that humans have existed, and you would think that, you know, that sort of uh, thing would have been bred out of us by now, but... 
Apparently, you can still die from getting stung by a dumb bee. Yeah, not me, though. Man, I've been in some bee fights, and Have you? I, I got stung the fuck up, uh, and, and I'm, I'm still alive. And these were very foolish things that I did. We had, um, we were living on an island at that time, and there were bees, well, not bees, but like those yellow jacket types living in a hole in the ground, and I was out mowing the lawn, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to like set the mower over the bee hole. Oh, geez, Daniel. And just, you know, like wreck them. And uh, they got pissed. You <laughs> would got think. Up, got up in my shirt and stung the crap out of me. And uh, it was a really, really stupid, stupid idea. Yeah, and I knocked was, down a few nests. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would think that maybe like water, maybe like the hose and drown them or. Oh, I've tried that too. And, and that just makes them mad too. Though they can't, um, most of them can't fly if they're super wet, which is exhibited in the film as well. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Anyway, I'm experiencing the bee, in the bee wars, right? So you are anti-bee. Is that what well, you're saying? Your anti-bee stance has clouded you on this movie. Is that what you're saying? I'm, I'm like, all right, I don't want you digging a hole in my yard and colonizing, and I don't want you putting a nest up in the eaves. I don't want you dropping no eaves. Um, so you're claiming property rights against the bees. Yes, and I'm going to take them to court, in human court. Yeah, which, in the movie, why did they take it to human court? Why, they had, like, the huge... The venue is very important in the outcome of the case, right? You would yeah. think that the bees would be like, no, we want this in fucking bee court. Yeah, they would want to change a venue, I would think. But, you know, it's a dumb movie, so what are you going to do? All right. Um, and one other question I wanted to ask you, and this is also related to the debate I had with uh, the syndicalist that I had recently. Um, do you believe, and we've no. talked about this, that ostracism is an effective punishment, deterrent, consequence of undesirable behavior in a social fabric absolutely human beings are social organisms and along with reputation hits and people not wanting to do business or be friends with or be around or those are all social costs and when you pay social costs and social prices yeah man have you ever been lonely in your life have you ever not had anybody you know reject you it hurts I don't know if you've ever been rejected, but it, it doesn't feel good. And the people that love and care about you turn their backs on you. Oh, painful, painful. So, yeah, you write your ship real quick when that kind of stuff happens. Right. OK, or you so, just, no, go ahead. So it's a it's a punishment and it's sort of similar to a violence. Right. I mean, it's not like an aggressive violence, but it's at least something that the very imposition of is undesirable to the person who's on the receiving end of it. Right. It is a voluntary means of punishment, yes. All right. So People withdrawing from you, you don't have a right to somebody's company. So it's not like they're attacking you physically. Right. They're simply withdrawing from you and judging you or saying that I don't want to be around you or support what you're doing. Right. And like when is... somebody cuts, cuts you off, you know, because you're a, you're a drug addict and they're like, we love you, but we're not going to support this lifestyle anymore. We're not going to enable you. So we're going to stop paying your rent or, you know, whatever. Anyway, yeah, and then you go and like? then you go and shoot Jackie. <laughs> what? <laughs> Find me guilty because he was cutting off his uh, cousin, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> ah, callbacks. Good callback, Daniel. Excellent. All right, so here here's my question: Given that ostracism is an effective punishment, and punishment is something that is imposed upon somebody, you know, voluntarily, but it is uh, an effective means of consequence. Could you consider ostracism bullying? No, of course not. Bullying, and I mean, well, I mean. If you're asking me, and you are, bullying, in my view, is a physical assault where you're actually saying, you know, you're threatening somebody. It's coercion. Give me your lunch money or else I'm going to punch you or something like that. I don't even think name-calling is bullying, though. But I know a lot of people who do. 
who, you know, a lot on the kind of the lefty side of things think that any kind of negative thing you say to somebody is bullying or mean or attack. You see it on Twitter all the time. Oh, the Twitter, you got attacked on Twitter. No, you didn't. Somebody disagreed with you. That's not an attack. Somebody said that, you know, they didn't like what you were doing. That's not an attack. That really isn't. Or because if it is, then let's say some bully is punching some guy in the face and I come along and say, what you're doing is wrong. And then the bully can, gets to say, I feel attacked by your words. It's I, ridiculous. I, it runs into absurdity. It wouldn't surprise me in the UK. <laughs> well, sure. Or Canada. Yeah. And soon, yeah. United States, if not well, already. Because, I mean, there have been instances of people defending their homes and then getting sued or arrested because the perpetrator breaking into their home got injured in the process of breaking into the home. You better believe it. it happens all the time. Not all the time. But, yeah, when it does happen, it seems to always turn out in the, uh, the invader's favor. Yeah, very strange. Uh, well, anyway, um, unrelated, well, sort of related to the bullying thing, but there's a college humor video that's quite funny where they're talking about how everyone's like super snowflakey sensitive uh, these days and that we need bullies to step back up to the plate and like resume their role of keeping people in line and toughening them up. <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. So uh, I'm going to post that in our show notes page, which can be found at lastnighters.com slash 19. But let's get into the movie, shall we? Okay, let's do it. Shall All we? right. So uh, another cute couple of people I wanted to mention are in this movie. Um, Putty from Seinfeld, Patrick Warburton, of course, and John Goodman. He plays the uh, Southern uh, lawyer who sounds lo- a lot like the, um, who's the big chicken in like the Warner Brothers com- um, cartoons? Foghorn, P. Leghorn or whatever? Yeah, that's him. Foghorn, yeah. Leghorn? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So talking about this movie, we're talking about Human Court versus B Court, and I, I agree. I think the venue would be very important and that if they wanted a better chance to win, they would have gone to B Court. But this leads to the whole question of do animals have rights? Because early in the film, it's against bee law to talk to humans. So humans have no idea that the bees are aware of their, you know, reason and can converse and communicate and all of these things. So I think that prior to that revelation that the animals don't necessarily have any rights other than, you know, it would be wrong to abuse them or harm them um, unnecessarily. Okay, so do you think then, is, you're going off the line that bees don't have rights because they haven't established their sentience, right? Yeah, I'm kind of going Therefore, there. I've sort of thought this through, but not like, you know, super strongly. That's fine. That's what we're here for. We're going to just try and hash this out. And who knows if we'll come up with an answer or not. So when the humans essentially take a queen and they put them in a hive and she gives birth to a whole bunch of little babies. And the human is kind of raising up these, you know, you see it in the movie, these farms, they're white boxes with all these people, and then they come around and they, they smoke them and then they take the honey. Is that some sort of aggression against the bees? Because, I don't know, I guess I'm just not an apist. What are they called, apist? People that know about bees. Anyway, once you have a, a queen in one hive, can she leave or does she like she cannot fly because she's too big or something? I think she can leave, right? She's like she can still fly and just peace out. Yeah, I don't know. But I imagine that if they could and they stay, then they prefer it. They're cozy. They're, you know, they, they dig it. The accommodations are satisfactory. Yeah, it seems like there's some sort of a, a, a beneficial relationship between the two, a, sort of a symbiotic relationship where the humans provide the locations. They keep them bit the bears away. They, whatever, they feed them. I don't know if they feed them, but they might provide, you know, flowers in the neighboring areas. Who knows? But let's say that they do. Then this is a a voluntary situation that's going on here. But yet you've got the commie Seinfeld character 
who says that this is exploitation and that, that the humans taking the bee honey is theft. Now, before they've established their sentience, A, are you on board with it being theft or a symbiotic relationship? And then after they've just developed their sentience or established the sentience, are you still in the same camp? Uh, pre-sentience, I think they're just harvesting the bounty of nature. They're homesteading. They're cultivating, you know, basically farming, right? And yeah. what is the deal with the caricature of the beekeepers <laughs> as evil, profit-hungry exploiters with multiple oh. gun references? Yeah, that was hilarious. It was such a cartoon. And, of course, yes, it's a cartoon. But you're talking about these guys who are just doing their job. They're just like you know, $15 an hour guys that are going to go out and collect bee honey. But yet there are these mustache twirling villain types who are just like, I love my job exploiting these bees. <laughs> it was so bad. What is the deal? Yeah, real bad. Horrific capitalist exploitation. You know how it is when you're just working your job trying to make a living. <laughs> yeah, and then after they establish their sentience and they say, no, don't steal our honey, uh, then I think the argument gets a little bit muddier, right? Um, now, in the court case, he says, do you speak for all the bees? And he says, yes, I am representing all the bees in the whole world. And there, there's no possible way that he right, would be able to do that. Immediately impossible. You didn't get everybody's voluntary acceptance. Nobody all voted unanimously to appoint you the official bee voiceover guy, <laughs> representative dude. <laughs> but he claims it, so whatever. And it's accepted for some reason, much like the United States and much like human beings, except that somehow politicians have the right to speak for everybody when it's patently ridiculous to even have one person fully speak for another person. Yeah, there's no true representation. I mean, if somebody were truly representing you, then they would carry out your wishes and you would have the ability to tell them not to, you know? I mean, that's what a representative truly is. It's, it's, it gets conflated with the political process, but it's not a um, you know, true definition um, because in the political process, they will do things against your wishes while at the same time, quote unquote, representing you. Indeed. And you could have people representing you in different areas with your express consent, like you have a lawyer that is meant to carry out your wishes in this one specific area to this very limited capacity. But a politician claims to be able to speak for everybody in everybody's interests at all times, which is just hilariously patently false on its face. So, yeah, representation, stupid. But in this movie, it's given a pass, just like in real life. So there you go. Now, I think that after they establish their sentience, I think that there would be an opportunity for people to come to agreements with the bees and say, okay, if you would like to produce excess honey and have these accommodations and be protected from nature and bears and other other things, you're, you're welcome to. And if not, you know, go off into the wilderness and establish a colony wherever you want. It's sort of like the um, for all the ANCOMs out there, like, all right, if you want to go do communism, go do it over there. Just don't force it on me. <laughs> right. And the whole movie makes me wonder why there wasn't a, a law to not talk to the humans in the first place. And if there are similar laws among other insects and animals and that sort of things and why those would exist. Is it really? Do they all foresee bad things happening when people could communicate, when creatures and people could communicate? Like Dr. Doolittle is just the worst person ever because <laughs> he could talk to all the creatures. Like, no, we don't want that to happen. We don't want, we don't want communication to happen. We just want, we want misunderstandings and injustices to occur. That's, that's what we want. Uh, it's just silly. But I guess you had to come up with some excuse as to why the bees had never talked to humans in the past. And that it's only when Jerry Seinfeld's like individualistic character breaks out of the commune to uh, pursue his own selfish individual wants that uh, the whole movie starts kicking off. 
Yeah, because he wants more than just whatever's on the that commie uh, job placement board. <laughs> right. Yeah, maybe we could talk a little bit about how communism is stupid and terrible. But in the movie, you know, bees have 100% employment, and there are politicians in this world. I don't mean to spoil alert anything for anybody, but there are politicians who claim that any unemployment whatsoever is terrible and wrong and immoral. And that means that you are forced to work. This is like strict labor camp type policies. <laughs> That's the only way to ensure 100% employment is to force everybody under threat of death to labor somehow, some way. Meanwhile, raising that, the price of that labor. Oh, yeah. Yes, artificially, somehow. so that the it demand is actually lower. Right, because there would be a glut of employment. <clears throat> but anyway, so then in the hive, you got 100% employment, which means you're going to have, I mean, no bee has to be the best to get the job. There's no like bee interviewing for a job. There's no training to be a job, although there's school for some reason. But then you just get placed into certain jobs, right? You kind of like... Well, there, there's, there's certain jobs that you have to be bred for, like the pollen jocks. Okay. And uh, if you recall, he, they pretended to be pollen jocks and, and the ladies were loving them. Because they were, you know, they had pollen on them, and it was like a man in uniform kind of thing. They were trying to impress the ladies, and and Simba the bootlicker was like, uh, "Oh yeah, we try to alert the authorities." So military worship. Oh yeah. What, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good times. But when but, when Jerry Seinfeld's saying, "Hey, I, I don't want to do what you guys want me to do," because he wanted his dad wanted to be a stir or whatever. Um, but Barry the Bee, Jerry Seinfeld wants more, right? He wants to be individualistic, like you were saying. His parents say to him. You're not funny. And I thought that was kind of a nice little subtle dig at him because he's a comedian. Indeed. Yeah, that's cute. So. Oh, oh. So, before, before you go on, uh, when his parents were telling him that and they said he wasn't funny, they started bickering and he said, you're not even listening to me. I could say things like, I'll go out and get a gold tooth and start calling everybody dog, which I think would be mildly offensive these days. I mean, this was about 10 years ago. But do you think that statement might being made in a movie today might be a bit of a problem? Probably. Probably be, quote, problematic with the snowflakes of the millennial generation, most likely. But anybody else would be like, yeah, we lived through that. Who cares? It's fine. But yeah, probably. But people get upset about the stupidest things these days. I mean, all you got to do is pay attention to the news and there's some stupid thing being upset about another stupid thing. Some normal thing. I mean, if people, if some of these millennial snowflakes that came out of the colleges these days were to watch like old movies, you know, they would just be horrified at just how racist their parents and grandparents were or whatever, or sexist and misogynist or homophobic or whatever. And just how yeah, backwards think, it all was. Oh, my goodness. I think there's a YouTube video where they have like millennials watching old whatevers, you know, old movies, old TV shows, old commercials, or giving them some object like an old like rotary phone or a eight-track player. And they're like, what is this? What do you think of that? Yeah. I've seen a few of those. They're, they're kind of funny. They can be amusing. Um, so let's talk about the, what, 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 what Jerry tries to do because he sees, like, he's, he sees an injustice, right? He thinks that there's theft going on and this kind of oppression, even though it certainly appears to be a voluntary situation. Um, on the one time, he claims that the smoke is what the bees are addicted to, like a drug, but we all know that all the smoke does is just kind of make the drug the bees more docile. I don't think it, it's like an addictive thing for the bees. And smoke is a naturally occurring thing. Anyway, um, so he wants to free the bees from this tyranny of 
labor, right, of having a job, essentially. Because he, he, his goal is to not have to toil all day and just until he dies, right? That's his, his main goal. Freedom from having a job, essentially. But then he sees that a real injustice is going on, this theft. And so he goes about to try and stop this theft. But then when the bees win in court, inexplicably, by the way, then they have this massive glut of honey and then no reason to continue working and no purpose. And he realizes that the purposes of these bees was to do a thing. And that now that that thing has been taken away, they become these kind of trust fund babies, like these kind of lazy layabout loafers that don't really do anything, have no purpose, and are completely unhappy and depressed. So then, of course, he goes to reverse all that, but not necessarily because of that, but it was because his girlfriend was mad at him because, you know, all the, the flowers are dying for some reason because the bees aren't pollinating them. Although, as you have demonstrated, the, the flowers can pollinate themselves just fine. Thank you very much sometimes. Well, maybe in that isolated incident, but... <laughs> well, I don't think that, I mean, obviously... It's, the timeline is shortened for movie sake because you just see the flowers just instantly wilting and dying, which is clearly not the case. But I guess it's metaphorical for over time, without pollination, there would be fewer and fewer flowers, fewer, you know, because I imagine that the wind pollinates some of it, but maybe the bees assist. I don't know what the percentage is. I don't know if it's 50% bees and 50% wind, but I imagine it's not 100% bees. But in this movie, it is 100% bees. And so it's all on the bees to continue working. So then they, I don't know, is any of this, do you have, do you have points to make about any of this? Yeah, a little bit. Um, it sounds like what you're saying is that early on in the movie, they start off being fairly communistic, very communal, assigning jobs and working um, just for the collective, you know, for the hive. And there was a, a moment where he talked about the queen moved there, so they had no choice. So they have to follow the queen no matter what. Like they have no volition in the matter. And he also, by the way, mentions that the queen is elected, which I thought was interesting. I thought that was sort of hmm. um, not how monarchies work, but maybe. <laughs> um, but then towards the end, uh, it's almost like they instituted a um, basic income guarantee. Like no one has a purpose to do work anymore. So they just become shiftless layabouts and things turn to shit. Um, it reminds me of this uh, Onion article about the microcosm of Marxism being debunked in an apartment because no yeah. one wants to do anything. Tread the dishes don't get done, doesn't get picked up, nothing happens. <laughs> it's really yeah, good. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we had an example of that. Personally, our, our neighbors across the way, they had a little communal garden going for a while, and it lasted, you know, a season, season and a half. But then people started realizing that, well, these couple of people are working really hard, and these people aren't doing shit, and yet everyone can get as much out of it as they want. So it ended up not working out so well. Shocking. I'm shocked and appalled. <laughs> I know. It's insane. Um, and then you, you had talked about uh, when we were talking about the 100% unemployment or 100% employment um, and that they would have to force people to work. I mean, all you have to do is strip capital, strip efficiency and technology, and then everyone is forced to work. It's like how Cambodia um, got everyone to be employed. Uh, well, I mean, it also helps that you kill half of the population, right? Um, but this is often a charge against capitalism. And it's the, oh, nature's oppressing me argument. Well, capitalism means that I have to work in order to survive. And that's inherently violent. Yeah. Yeah, it's real dumb. But then like the cartoon you sent me recently illustrates perfectly. You go out into nature and, oh no, nature is oppressing me. And it's a lot worse than your $15 an hour or whatever you would be getting paid at some job because you have to work and toil all day long to basically scrounge up enough food and build a little shelter. I mean, just watch Castaway. 
I mean, there, at no point in that movie was Tom Hanks like wealthy and could sit around and like had a whole bunch of leisure time. I mean, once he got good at things, he was fine, but he wasn't getting fat. If anything, he leaned down because he was losing his caloric intake was going down. Yeah, he needed to have a little hive, I think. That would have helped. Yeah, probably a hive would have helped out. Pollinate some of that stuff. Get some honey. All right, so let's talk about Goodman and his point in the uh, court case. Because he says, you know, there's the bounty of nature, and how else could people do anything if they can't interact with nature and the natural resources and cultivate and change things, uh, homestead them, basically, uh, and create something out of what nature has offered. And I think that he's absolutely right with that. But then he, he poisons the well with the steroids comment, of course. But it's, yeah, he's uh, absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, and, and Seinfeld's playing up the exploitation of the little guy, and he uses that language exactly. And then he also um, correlates it with slavery. Well, you're bee keepers. You're not bee freers. Right. And then uh, what's the next thing I have? Um, Ray Liotta comes in, and Sting comes in, and the Sting one was like, well, are, are you a member of the police? And he's like, well, it's a band that I'm in. Well, are you a police officer? Well, no. Are you a bee? Then why are you using the word Sting? Like it's an appropriation of bee culture? Yep. Yep, which plays, it sounds like something that would happen today. Yeah, it's like all the millennials saw these movies as kids, saw movies like this, and they're like, oh, that's that's exactly right. I'm offended. I'm offended by him appropriating bee culture. Yeah, it's real, real bad. But then, yeah, Sting actually gets arrested, right? Yeah, and outed for his real name, whatever it was, you know, David whatever. Mm-hmm. He got, um, what do they call that, doxxed <laughs> in court right? as a result of that. But yeah, it was it was it's interesting because like the the arc is you know Jerry is fairly um, communistic going into this, and then once he gets his way, wins the thing, and he sees the results of it, then he turns into the entrepreneur, and he's like, hey, we need to have a purpose. We need to have a symbiotic market-based relationship where we're providing a service and they're providing something for us, and we make an exchange, and everyone benefits. So in that respect, I'm actually thinking the movie is as, as many problems as, as we're pointing out so far. Uh, by the end, it actually gets a fairly decent message. I would agree. Um, yeah, it, it's not, it doesn't go into detail about how exactly it all works out, like what exactly do the bees get paid in, or how do they get paid, or what do they benefit from. I mean, it seems like there was, they were already getting benefits, like what we talked about in the beginning, the symbiotic nature of the program. But they just kind of make the claim that, okay, now it's a beneficial relationship, and I'm, hey, I'm all for it. If everybody's happy and it's all voluntary and whatever the, the specifics are, go for it. So, yeah, I wish they kind of would have gotten a little more into detail about it, but, you know, whatever. They're just trying to wrap things up, and they probably didn't even know what the details would be. So, whatever, as long as everybody's happy. Yeah, just a 90-minute cartoon thing. Uh, I want to talk about David Putty a little bit. Um, okay. I have two, two comments about him and a, and a question for you. The first comment is he's, um, he's playing tennis with his girlfriend at the tennis court, and Jerry thinks it's a, a, a flower or something. He goes down there, and then he gets on the, on the ball and, like, nearly gets killed. And then he miraculously ends up getting, uh, uh, you know, like rain and whatever and, and crashing into the apartment across town. So one in a million chance, right? Or one in eight million chance, because there's, what, eight million people who live there? <laughs> Those happen to be the yeah. same people that he was playing tennis with? Oh, it was just, you know, a little bit too... Oh, yeah. A little bit too... Uh, <laughs> Coincidental? Yeah, too probably. Pro- probably, Daniel, yeah. But, you know, I mean, you know, introducing the characters and whatnot. But uh, in right. that, Putty's, like, got a little fold-out brochure of, like his resume and how great he is and his favorite movies. And he says he doesn't go for those Star Wars movies. And that reminded me of, of Murray Rothbard. He wrote a very critical review of 
Star Wars. He didn't like it. <laughs> and uh, that was under the, I think his, um, his moniker was Mr. Last Night, or Mr. First Nighter. That's right. And, and we're the Last Nighters. That's, that's kind of why we have the name, everyone. Ta-da! Reveal. Um, but once uh, Jerry Seinfeld steals his girlfriend, Renee Zellwidger, and David Putty like, tries to kill him in the bathroom, fully aware that he's a conscious um, being, that's attempted murder, yeah? In my world, absolutely. Yeah, if you know that something is sentient and can talk to you and you can reason with a thing and have a conversation and understand that it's a thinking, self-owning thing, then yeah, absolutely, you're killing that thing. You're violating that person's, that thing's self-ownership. Whatever form or shape it is, I know we've had discussions about, you know, can you kill a robot, can you rape a robot? Those are interesting discussions to have if, if a robot ever attains full sentience. But, you know, you're you're suspending your disbelief and allowing this bee to have full sentience and to be as funny as Jerry Seinfeld, so whatever. Yeah, you're absolutely committing murder, I would think, and you'd probably get prosecuted in some sort of bee court, I would think. I don't know. But I don't think any human court would look askance at you. They'd be like, whatever, are you kidding? I just swatted a bee two days ago. Whatever. I don't know. It, it changes the whole dynamic. If we were to find out that bees could talk tomorrow, it would be like aliens have landed on the planet. It would change everything. I'm sure people would still want to, you know, go along with the way things were, but then there would be a whole bunch more people who would be like bee advocates and, you know, protest and, you know, argue for bee rights and all that sort of thing. It would be a, a massive game changer. And I think that uh, in my camp, like I said before, if we don't respect other people, other you know, being sentient, then why would they respect ours? So that's where, that's my fancy. Yeah, it reminds me of that old uh, TV show, and, and old, I mean, like 20, 25 years ago, Alien Nation. Do you remember that one at all? Sure. Yeah, they're like two cops, you know, like fighting crime, but one's an alien, like a big red egghead. Yeah, yeah, and and, and everyone was like treating them as um, you know, second class types. Like I think it was a commentary on slavery and Jim Crow and, and things like that, like different classes of people and being treated differently. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, we used to not believe that black people were full human beings. And not we, just the, the royal. No, we. you and me. You and me, Daniel. Be honest. Oh. But that was yesterday. I'm enlightened now. Now I think they're four-fifths of a human being. It's fine. Anyway, let's talk about how uh, this beehive we kid, we is kid. a nice little allegory for Venezuela. Because... Yeah. Venezuela is essentially a big old socialist commune nightmare hellhole. Well, I, I keep and hearing it's not real socialism, but I, <laughs> my counter to that would be, well, it's almost socialism, and look how bad it is. Right. If almost socialism is, is making it this bad, I'm glad it's not full socialism. But so what happened in Venezuela, and this is just a short little quick rundown. I'm sure everybody that listens to this show is fully aware of it, but whatever, I like to talk, is that Hugo Chavez and his cronies essentially started – Stealing private property. They call it nationalizing industry. It's just another word for theft. And so, you know, oil companies down in Texaco, you know, like Texaco and Shell and BP and whatnot, they had like company, you know, situations down there because they have the largest untapped natural oil reserves in the world that we know about. And so Chavez nationalized all that crap and said, this is now for the people. When have we heard that nightmare statement before? So we're going to take all this, steal all this property. And we're going to have government bureaucrats run it, not for profit, because when has that ever turned out bad? And then what happened was is that there was a big glut of oil and a drop in oil prices. I believe OPEC said they were going to start pumping out more oil. So oil price tanked, and their entire economy had become essentially based on the petrodollar and the oil that they were exporting. And so all of a sudden, 
they are broke, much like the bees, except the other way around. Like they have this market for oil, and then the market dries up entirely. So they have this market for honey, and then because of this court ruling, the market dries up entirely because people are like, well, I can't have bee products anymore. I can't have honey anymore because the bees are going to keep it all. So they don't want to sell it anymore. So all of a sudden, it's kind of the opposite thing, but it's for the same essential purpose, is that they're specializing in one thing, oil or honey, and then if the market dries up, things go to shit. That's just a fun little thing, except for opposite reasons. It's good, good times. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And we did a callback earlier to our Find Me Guilty episode, and I want to do one more. Um, and this is almost a throwaway line by Jerry Seinfeld, and he says, what's with all these people being in this courtroom? Don't all these humans have to work? And huh. it, it reminded me of... Um, in the Find Me Guilty, you know, those people were in the court case for like two years. The jury members, the gallery, like nobody had anything productive being done. They were caught in this bureaucratic nightmare, this ceremony, yeah. right? And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it just totally correlates to um, what I saw in B-Movie here. I don't disagree. Circle gets the square, buddy. All right. Well, I think um, let's start winding this one down. We've been going almost 45 minutes, and um, I want to get any last, you know, real cogent notes and points out while we were discussing this movie, B-movie, on The Last Nighters, episode 19. Yeah. What, uh, what else we got? What else? What, what, do you want to do your, uh, your final analysis, or do you get some more points? Uh, those were all my notes, but... Okay. There was one, there was one, um, there was one point, and I'm, I'm kind of blanking. I've got it written down here in my notes, but I'm, I'm kind of remember forgetting where, what happened. There was like a gun in the face of an old woman having tea, and then her head got slammed into the table or something like that, and it was supposed to be funny. It's just, it just horrifying. Do you remember that part? Mm, vaguely. Okay. Well, let's not talk about that. Who cares? Yeah. So this, <laughs> anyway. being a kid's movie, I, I watched it with the kids. And when I watch anything with the kids, it's like half distraction, half watching, you know, because the half distraction is like trying to keep them from biting or wrestling or climbing over gates or falling downstairs, things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, good times. Yeah, that is good times, Daniel. I'm glad you're being a good parent and exposing them to this garbage. Well, like I said, it does turn itself around, and I'll just go right into my final summary review here. Do it. You start out with this relatively socialistic society um, that haven't ex- haven't made it made their um, sentience uh, known to the dominant species of the planet, the humans. But then once they do, they decide to sue. And um, I, you know, like I said, I find it interesting that they would choose to do it in human court versus B court because they happen to have you know, be um, Larry King and be newscasts and, you know, basically be versions of everything. Um, but throughout the course of the film, they realize that once they get what they want, that it's not really that good of an outcome. And so then they they have to shift toward a more market-based approach, more of a providing a service and receiving a benefit in exchange. And I think that is actually a pretty good message, but it will probably be lost on most kids. But it, you know, as far as like, Overall, I, I kind of think that the critics are pretty solid on this one. Like, it's not the greatest movie. It's it's tolerable. It's interesting. There's some buzzwords in there that I would rather they not be there. But I yeah. think that the animal rights question and the sentience question makes an interesting discussion. So for me, the overall rating is going to be a 5.2, which is fairly right. low, I realize. But, yeah. you know, I'm not going to, like, run out and watch this one again anytime soon. Yeah, for me, this movie was more about, you know, like we always do on the show, is we look for the economic messages and that sort of thing and the rights issues and sort of thing. But So for me, it was more interesting to talk about, you know, controlled economies versus specialization, capitalism versus socialism. And I think those things are going to essentially be lost on most audiences. 
but you might glean, you know, something out of them. And like you said, the message does turn itself around. I do appreciate that the main character is an individualist, almost first and foremost, for the most part, although he does, you know, he's kind of like a social justice warrior a little bit, a little bit much for that for me, but he is at least an individualist inside this collective hive commune. And, you know, I, bees are essentially communists, but they are also, you know, highly specialized uh, market actors. So I have mixed feelings about them. But, um, yeah, this movie, not the greatest, like Daniel said. Um, it wasn't particularly funny, which is essentially my yardstick for these sort of comedy-type movies. So, I mean, you put Jerry Seinfeld in the lead in a little animated movie, especially if this is around the time when they were trying to compete with, like, Pixar, and a lot of these movies were coming out, you know, with big-name talent to try and suck in some of that them them dollars that people were spending to go watch these movies with their kids. And, yeah, this movie just kind of fell flat, hit the middle of the road. It does have a decent message, at least a little bit, if you can discern it. Um, if you're just watching it with your kids, kind of half paying attention, you, you can just fly right by you. Buzz right by you. And I want to apologize for all that talk. Anyway, oh. uh, this movie is about a six. Give a give a flat six. All right, a flat and, six. Uh, all right. Oh, and, and there is um, another economic thing I wanted to just mention is, is – um, Economic organization and activity, and that's something that F.A. Hayek was very keen on in studying. And there is a um, uh, a writing by Bernard Mandeville called The Fable of the Bees, and that is probably worth checking out. Uh, so I'll post a link to that down in the show notes page on this, lastnighters.com slash 19. And um, any final messages from you, Robert, before we say goodnight to our lovely audience? Yeah, lovely audience. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for stopping in, checking us out, seeing how we're doing. Because, uh, you know... We're still alive, doing it up. Come on back for the next episode, which is going to be... Deadpool. Deadpool. Oh, 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 staying alive. Oh, wait, Deadpool. Not staying alive. We should do a Bee Gees movie at some point. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, thank you guys for joining us for this episode of The Last Nighters, and uh, we can say goodnight from last night.